0: The rotary engine does have a reputation for braking and that reputation isn't necessarily always 100% justified, there are some reasons why this is seemingly so common. We're here with Rob Darm to talk a little bit more about rotary engine strength, reliability and tuning. Welcome to High Performance Academy's Tuned In Field Report podcast series. In these special midweek episodes we look back through our archives to find the best conversations we've had through years worth of attending the best automotive events across the globe. We've pulled the audio from these tech filled interviews with some of the industry's most well known figures and presented it in podcast format for you to enjoy as a quick hit of insider knowledge. So Rob, for a start, what do you see as the main reason why road engines traditionally have had this reputation of breaking. I mean we've all seen the memes boost in one side, apex seals out the other side.
1: Yeah so I would like to preface that by saying because I'm not a traditional builder I really get to see the actuality of what a typical person sees the rotary engine as and so I've got all the variety, the two rotor, three, four, and I got the six in in, in production Um, and so I see a lot of different misnomers or things that people think about the engine or have come from the history of the motor that incorrectly characterize it now. And so uh, there's a lot of different things we can expand on, but uh, I can definitely say that that poor motor doesn't get the, it gets the reputation it shouldn't get. And it's an honor that I see a lot of people call me rotor daddy. When there are people like uh, Pack Performance and others that have, have really set the stage for me to succeed, you know, both with tuning or building and supporting that motor. So it's an honor to be in this spot, you know, speaking as almost an authority or a subject matter expert, when really I'm one of the newer people to the scene But I certainly have learned a lot and built off of the existing.
0: I think where you differ though from some of those shops and and obviously not to disrespect PAC or any of those who are achieving, the issue we see is obviously they're doing it commercially, Uh, there are a lot of players in the market and they want to keep their secrets as they call them to themselves which is understandable. So they kind of don't really share too much of what's going on inside the engine. On the other hand, you're really not doing this for a living, you want to share this information so you get to to see uh, what's going on. Now, I want to really focus here on two separate elements. I want to start, which is more my specialty, which is the tuning side of things. And I think, in my opinion, what I've seen, a lot of the rotary engine blow-ups or failures are actually the result of poor tuning with a tuner who's perhaps had little to no experience on rotary engines and is trying to apply what they know works on a piston-style engine. Yes. Doesn't always work. Let's hear your take on the differences.
1: So I I will tell you, the emotion of anybody getting into tuning a rotary engine is as simple as how people perceived using e85 on a rotary engine there was that common consensus that it was bad that you were going to ruin the motor and i heard of a guy or a friend that did it this way and it had problems and so there's a lot of people that treat these engines with that sort of like anecdotal information and so they go into tuning the engine wrong instead of looking at the facts. And I think you and I very much share that diagnostic approach and cause and effect and see it for yourself and having that experience I think is is what's given me a competitive advantage over many people. And and, and of course, even as simple as just making tons of power, which is one type of challenge, but then also making that power
0: reliably, which is the other, you know, axes of challenge. The reliable is, is the key part here. So there's two separate elements, there's a lot we could dive into here but just yeah. to keep it relatively brief, uh, there's the fueling and the ignition timing. So let's start with the ignition timing and the rotary engine, what's important for viewers to understand is that they're a sensitive little soul, they really need to be treated with a, a lot of TLC and where we could potentially on a piston engine run the engine into light levels of detonation on the on the dyno, obviously it's not preferred but it can happen and the engine's not instantly going to fall apart, we can find where that knock threshold is, where MBT is when we're optimising the timing. Yeah that's not a real good approach on a rotary engine, is it?
1: No, no, I mean, I've done that approach (laughs) on a rotary engine and I I paid the price and detonated the motor. And I mean, you know, it's the same reason I don't, and some people do, but I don't run knock sensors because the knock is basically the moment the engine fails.
0: That's a really good point. I've actually had a lot of people reach out on our YouTube channel and on our forums as a result of my rotary tuning worked example, which is in one of our courses. And I specifically make the point of, I do not believe in knock control. This will be controversial. I sure, yes, have a lot of people yes. here saying I'm wrong but I do not believe in knock control obviously for the same reason. I'll talk about that in a little bit more detail. When we're validating or tuning a knock control strategy, it's not magic. We actually need to teach it what frequencies to look for and what the noise level is Makes which sense. is normal background engine operation versus knock and the only way to do that is to make the engine purposely knock. Now again coming back to what I mentioned, yep. uh, that's not something I'm prepared to do on a rotary engine, no. uh, almost any level of knock can be enough in some instances to cause damage so we want to stay away from that. Alright so that's our ignition tuning, conservative is really the aim of the game. Mm-hmm. Fortunately we don't necessarily see such a steep relationship between mm-hmm. torque and ignition timing with the yeah, rotary engine I'm, so we can kind of be a little conservative, we're not leaving bags of power on the table are mm-hmm. we?
1: No no, I, I actually rented a hub dyno recently with my rotary Corvette and went from about six degrees timing all the way up to 22. And, you know, I I did see obviously improvement, increase in power, but it was actually so subtle. Like I I was, you know, you're expecting 50 horsepower more and that's not 50 horsepower more. And so I, I, I believe that, yeah, let's keep it more conservative
0: and then just add boost. Okay, so that's one element, and then the other is, as I mentioned, the, the fueling. And again, I think people try to apply what they know works on a piston engine. I mean, I hear crazy air fuel ratio targets being discussed with rotary engines, and the the low ten to one, maybe into the nine to one. I haven't found any need to run that rich, but generally, I, I will use a little mm-hmm. additional fuel to help yes. with cooling. How, how do you approach it?
1: Completely agree. Now, I, I share all of this in my videos, but I run uh, in lambda as you often do, and. I found that I was running more lean than many of my friends who were saying, "Hey, you're going to blow your motor at that and I have not yet. And so I run it on ethanol. I run a 0.82 lambda. And what's fascinating about that is, and we spoke briefly off camera, is that injector timing, I think, especially with large injectors, is a deal breaker on a rotary engine. And I found that myself is that with one simple button click, my injector timing, you know, whether it is the beginning of the time of injecting or the end at about 30 to 50% of injector duty is extremely critical, especially when your secondaries are coming on and there's 2600s, for example, Uh, you know, because you got ethanol and you want to really dump that in there. I found on my rotary Corvette that I was still meeting the same air to fuel ratio, but it was actually circumventing the motor and, and blowing by through the intake to the exhaust igniting and still showing the same air-to-fuel ratio, but it was not going through the motor, and as a result, the motor went lean.
0: So your actual air fuel ratio inside of the engine, which is what counts, was leaner than what you were registering, that's what you're saying? That's correct. And so, so that's where I was like, okay, well, if you're tuning for a specific air fuel ratio, that's right. not
1: the entire picture if you have your injector timing off.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think people don't understand some of the tuning parameters that can actually affect the, what, what we're seeing. We'll park the tuning side of things there. There's a bunch more we could talk about, but that's a high-level view of, of some of the elements that I see as problems.
1: Do you want to take your car knowledge game to the next level? Join us in the next free lesson at hpacademy.com slash free and start developing your own skills today.
0: Let's dive into the engines now. The other thing I sort of see is that the rotary engine has always been sort of discussed as being simple in terms of it doesn't have as many moving components as a, as a typical Piston engine, absolutely. Of course, that that's correct. And I think the knock-on effect of that is a lot of young enthusiasts think that, well, it's so simple. I can I can build it in my in my back shed, mm-hmm. maybe with a bit of sand blowing in the door because you're living near the beach or something like that, and it, it ain't no thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. Th- these engines still need precision when it comes to assembling them. We need to work in the same clean environment that would be building any engine. The tolerances, clearances inside them, absolutely every bit as critical as any other engine.
1: Incredibly critical. Now, the best place for any beginner getting into rotary engines to start is Mazda's spec, Mazda's parts, Mazda's side seals, Mazda's even, you could even say Mazda Apex seals. But to start, using their their tolerances is a phenomenal place to be so i would go you know on a budget i would go to amazon and get like a set of calipers a mic you know micrometer like all the different things to measure and make sure that your your seals are in spec or the rotor is the correct width compared to your rotor housing like all of those things are pretty critical to prevent catastrophic failures and and after that's all verified then yes i think
0: that the engine assembly is simple but that's like the end. That's the end home home stretch. Yeah, that, that's the last probably ten percent of the actual job. All of the hard work's already been done up to that point. Correct.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. Now I do like to test, like on my three rotor. I purposely have non balanced rotors, so I let the motors, I want to see okay, what's the effect? And that that motor surprisingly has worked way better than I thought. One of the rotors are dented, and so there is some level of backyard, you know, shade tree mechanic room to give on a rotary engine but it's only in certain areas and and you have to be aware of it.
0: Let's talk about what are the key upgrades that should be applied when building a performance rotary engine and maybe what order they should be. I'm guessing there's a lot of people out there who are pushing a factory engine beyond where it's probably safe and likewise there's probably a lot of people that are are building a, a hugely expensive long motor with parts that they don't really need for the power yes. they're aiming for. Yes. So, so I, I, you know, I understand that a shop needs to survive by
1: making money that that's an absolute necessity. So that puts me in a very unique position that I am not a shop. And so my job it, it, technically at the end of the day, my, I'm an uh, entertainer. I'm not an engineer, but that's how I think I uh, myself as I'm engineering these things, but I'm, my job is to entertain. And so by entertaining, I love to share information. So what I've noticed is a lot of shops, Will add on things that again that are hearsay or anecdotal, but make them money to stay in business. And uh, you know, uh, something as simple as lightning rotors, anecdotally makes sense. Like yes, less rotating mass for sure. But is that at 400 horsepower on a two rotor going to make a big difference? No. Price per value, and especially if say you do have a failure in the motor, now you're having to pay all this extra money to replace a very cu- a now customized part. So my job. W- in my mind, was to use a stock rotor, st- roughly the same way does the other rotor, you know, stock seals, and then just push that to see its limits uh, with minimal adjustment to the motor to see, what, okay, when fans ask me, hey, I want to make a 400 horsepower two rotor or a 500 or 700, what, at what point certain modifications I feel from my experience um, are justified.
0: Let's talk about some of those common modifications. So stud kits, uh, dowling the, the housings to the, to the plates, uh, those are sort of two of the more common modifications. Then in high-end race engines, there's clearancing of the rotors mm-hmm. as well. Yes. You know, what, if any, of those are necessary? Let's say we wanted to shoot for... Maybe six hundred horsepower, nothing crazy, and in, yep. in a two rotor turbo. Yeah, no,
1: you you almost nailed it perfectly. From what I've found is that you know starting with the idea of using ethanol to prevent a lot of carbon buildup in the motor, so you don't have that that dieseling or hot spot, uh, which I've experienced. That's one, and then two is doweling. I'm a big fan of doweling. Now that was kind of shown to me, it wasn't like I discovered it, is that when I originally purchased this motor, it was very controversial as to whether it would run well or not, but it was built with, actually Jeff from Precision Engineering had made these 16 millimeter, which is the same diameter as the stock two dowels, but solid dowel bolts. So they were like a stud that was also a dowel. And my findings were that that was a phenomenal solution for the, the torsional challenges of the motor. And so I'm a firm believer that keeping it simple, you know, I I tell fans that if they want, you know, 400 to 500 horsepower, you know, a stud kit and then adding some dowels, which does take some machine work. But the stud kit first, maybe buy uh, like uh, Pineapple Racing, sells a solid dowel kit, which is just the the upper and the lower one, and at very least the lower one alone, you know, strengthening that side to side, you know, um,
0: the torsional rigidity increasing yes. that.
1: Yeah. So that's the very first thing to attack, in my opinion. Uh, especially as a streetcar where sometimes you're slamming on it, sometimes you're not. You know, that it's not a purpose-built motor. That's where I, I what I attack first. And and then as you go on, I have found that stock rotors, especially at high, high RPM, do make love to the side plates. And you'll see the scuffing and the the color discoloration of the tip of the rotor. Um, not the apex, seal, not the the seals, but the actual physical rotor. And I've gotten away with not catastrophically destroying my motors, but pulling them out and going, okay, you do need to take that five thousandths off the tip. You know, if you're looking at the rotor spinning like this, it's it's the tips. You know, like you almost have to put it on a lathe and just take all the corners down, and that
0: seems to be a good next step once you start going really high RPM. So there's more RPM. Versus actual outright power, yes. which you can understand, essentially at higher RPM, the rotors tend to want to walk a, about a little bit inside mm-hmm. of the rotor housings and just make that contact. Uh, I'm interested w- with that process. Is that more race only? Is there downsides mm-hmm. in terms of increasing blow by, etc., or is it not really make a big difference?
1: On a traditional motor, this is not a traditional motor because it has a dry sump. You know, so so there's a vacuum in the, the crankcase. In the vacuum crankcase. Do you want to take your car knowledge game to the next level? Much difference at all because all the seals are almost being sucked. To them. I, I can see that it wears, the, the more the vacuum, I have a vacuum regulator on this car because the stronger the vacuum is, the more I was wearing down my side seals and corner seals. And so uh, on a traditional motor where there is no vacuum holding those seals, uh, assisting those seals, yeah, I definitely see more blow by on my three rotor. Like it fills that catch can pretty quick.
0: Yeah, so I mean there's compromises that we need to understand and be prepared to take. One of the other obvious questions here is apex seals and i mean most people building a performance rotary will jump to an aftermarket apex seal, there's there's literally dozens of options out there uh, all with their own sets of pros and cons then there's also the the mazda factory seals as well my personal take is that people probably jump away from the the factory seals maybe a little bit too early and the the factory seals when tuned correctly are, are pretty strong and do a great job of not beating up on the housing so where, where is the sort of the line in the sand do you think where aftermarket seals are and non-negotiable.
1: Yeah, so you know, I, I will definitely say, and, and because of my, my adventures are very public, um, you'll see the old traditional rotary engine builders say that you know, you're know you doing something wrong if, if the stock Apex seals break. Now, that is objectively true. You're doing something wrong. But I think that the better way to approach the motor as an enthusiast, not as a obsessive builder, but as a person that's in their garage and doing it with a reasonable budget, an aftermarket seal does have some benefits that outweigh the, the trade-offs associated with those benefits and so uh, a softer seal tends to be which i found a soft soft seals tend to warp under hot, intense intense moments but they never take out the entire motor that you just lose compression and uh you would, you would set off camera that that almost like is like forces you to have to rebuild the motor before it is catastrophic
0: yeah I mean it's obviously never ideal when you lose compression and the engine either won't start or is really hard to start which coincidentally is one of the big red flags with rotary engines. If it's difficult to start, chances are start looking at what's gone wrong but of course the failure mode there is bending and losing compression as opposed to catastrophic destruction and when one of these apex cells lets go, there's not a lot left of your engine and also your turbocharger if it's forced induction. Look Rob I think we'll we'll finish it off there we yep. could talk for probably yeah, another absolutely. couple of hours on rotary engines but there's a few tips hopefully for our viewers uh, if people yep. uh, want to follow you and see what you're up to where are they best to do yep. so Rob Dum R O B D A H M on all the different platforms Perfect and we'll we'll drop a link in our description there so people can find you easy. Thanks again for your time Rob and enjoy the show. Yeah you do. If you enjoy this podcast, please feel free to leave us a review on whatever platform you've chosen to listen to it on. It goes a long way to helping us get the word out there. All these conversations and much more are also available in full on our High Performance Academy YouTube channel so make sure you subscribe.